0: Okay, so this one needs to break the mold a bit. Plenty of people write or narrate essays on mythology and belief systems. It's an interesting topic. However, a lot of people tend to dance around the Abrahamic religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Since they're much more modern and three of the most dominating belief systems in the world, a lot of people are afraid of stepping on toes. It's one thing to discuss Zeus, whose religion already has structure based on multiple tellings of stories. And another thing is the Abrahamic God, who has a collective billions of followers across all three faiths, all of whom feel very strongly about certain tellings of their stories being the correct ones. Another part of this is a phenomenon called drift, when it comes to belief systems. As the story moves around and gets shared, it drifts, it changes, it takes new forms. The story of Heracles and the Nemean lion has two primary versions. One where the muscle-down hero shoots the lion in the mouth with an arrow, and another where he strangles it with his powerful hands. Which came first? We all know. One was first, then as the story was told repeatedly, some jackass came up with a different version, then that spread too. The story drifted. Drift also occurs very, very frequently when a story is translated from one language to another, as mistakes are very easy to make in the process. Now, when this occurs with the more modern religion, people tend to get heated when they perceive a situation where they believe their faith is being misrepresented because someone is telling a different version of their faith story than they're familiar with, or if they thought they were familiar with all the material relevant to their faith, only to hear stories from material new to them. Religion is a very personal, defining aspect to a person's perception of themselves, and to see that shifting right in front of your eyes can make an individual uneasy, to feel as if exterior forces are shifting the foundations of who they are. I know this, I recognize this, and I respect this. This feeling is completely valid, and if you feel it while reading my work, then, well, I'm sorry. I find culture fascinating, and that includes belief systems and what they say about the civilizations that follow them. This is an important aspect of learning about people long gone, like the ancient Greeks, Norse, Aztecs, etc. But it's also an important tool in gaining insight into modern aspects of our own culture, where it came from how it affects us, and where it's going. I don't write about this to dislocate, correct, or subvert anyone's beliefs. I don't write to hurt people. I write this to study and to learn. And if, in the process of discussing your personal belief system, or a more overarching system yours is derived from, I discuss a different iteration of the story than that you're familiar with and that makes you uneasy, then I'm sincerely sorry. That feeling is perfectly valid. And I implore you to talk it out with someone you trust and relate to, and find a resolution to that conflict that makes you happy. Also, to clear up some things most people may not be familiar with when it comes to Abrahamic theology. The stories of the Abrahamic religions come from a law of sources, some of which are shared between belief systems, some of which aren't. For example, the Christian denominations typically divide their Holy Bible into two segments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. To the Judaistic believers, the New Testament isn't considered relevant, and while the Old Testament of different Christian beliefs has been edited as to which books are and are not considered canon, the Judaistic text, called the Torah, is the complete original work. The reason I bring all this up is, obviously, it's been translated and retold several times over between these different communities. I'm going to do my best to adhere to the Judaistic version, but it's written in Hebrew, a language I'm only superficially familiar with. In summation, the stories here are originally written in a language I can't read, and translations can vary wildly in their accuracy. Please bear with me. Okay, on to the story. There's a concept that comes up frequently in religion, most typically with the Greek pantheon, called epithets. An epithet is the name a god is called, specifically in relation to the job that god is being called upon to do. For example, the Greek goddess Aphrodite had a metric buttload of epithets, but her three most common were Aphrodite Aurea, which invoked her as a war goddess, mostly in Sparta, to the surprise of absolutely no one. Aphrodite Urania, which was used to invoke her as a goddess of emotional love of all kinds. And Aphrodite Pandemos, which was used to invoke her as a goddess of sex. All the same god, but doing different jobs meant praying with different epithets. Now, for a monotheistic religion, like the Abrahamic faiths, having one God means that God gets a lot of different jobs, and by extension, a lot of different epithets. That's what we're here for today. The actual name of God is forbidden from being spoken or written. Supposedly, it's completely incomprehensible to the human mind, and even seeing it written will burn your eyes out with holy fire. That's metal as hell. But the Hebrew equivalent of consonants in the name are allowed. Which translate to YHWH. A lot of people in need of a commonly spoken name for their deity fill in the blanks to make Yahweh. This is what I'll roll with whenever I need to talk about this guy in the future. A lot of different names are used for various highly specific purposes. For example, L is a common prefix, which means almighty, to signify Yahweh's omnipotence, regardless of capacity. El Elyon is a name used often when describing Yahweh in his place in heaven, specifically above everything else, as it means Almighty Most High. Angels are arrayed in the various levels of heaven, Will sometimes have titles that mean high, as in high in authority and position, but none have the superlative modifiers of Big Guns himself. Another interesting name is El Shaddai. Why is it interesting? We have no clue what it means. The meaning of Shaddai has been lost. It could mean Almighty from a location called Shaddai. It could mean Almighty possessing the quality of Shaddai, if it's a descriptor. Or Almighty who is also called Shaddai. A lot of people theorize that this means Shaddai was an early attempt to make a common name for Yahweh, before Yahweh was codified. A whole bunch of dudes with PhDs claim that Shaddai has roots in words related to the wilds, making a potential meaning. Almighty of the wilderness, making an epithet of Yahweh's mastery over the earth and its life. Another Hebrew word, shadad, means to plunder, destroy, and make desolate. If Shaddai has any etymological connections to shadad, that makes El Shaddai an epithet of Yahweh in his capacity as a destroyer, and would mean almighty destroyer. And oh boy, are we going to get into that. Another etymological root is kind of weird. C. Another Hebrew word, shad, there's punctuation at play in the Romanized Hebrew that differentiates these roots, and that I can't type out with this keyboard means breast, which would make El Shaddai mean the almighty titty. As funny as that is, if this is the root of the word shaddai, it's more likely it means almighty woman. Abrahamic religion has roots in Mesopotamian belief systems, of which some very popular figures were kind of agendered, being male or female depending on how they were called upon, especially as these belief systems pointed off into monotheistic systems. Again, if this is the root of Shaddai, it would indicate that there was a time where Yahweh was worshipped in this capacity, being called upon as a god or goddess, depending on the job at hand. Again, if. This is all speculation. And if there were writings that supported it, they've either been lost to time, or haven't been found yet. Only speculation, but still interesting. Our next epithet is El Elohim, an interesting one for its historic context. Elohim is a more general term for a deity, the old Hebrew Canaanite equivalent to God, lowercase g. It was used very frequently as a general term for the deities of various cults and belief systems. The Judaistic people converting it into a hard title for Yahweh basically meaning Almighty God, was a firm stance against the prevalent polytheism surrounding them. Their way of declaring, you losers may have gods, but we have a God, capital G, which is pretty badass. Another interesting epithet is Zavayot. It translates to armies, and the whole title of Yahweh Zavayot is used by King David to call Yahweh the God of Israel's armies referring to him in his capacity as the ultimate commander of his people's armies. This is basically Yahweh's title as a war god. Metal. Our last object of discussion is Adonai, a really weird word. Adonai can be translated fairly accurately as my lord, a title indicating subservience on the part of the speaker. So, El Adonai, one of the most commonly used names for Yahweh in the Torah, translates to my almighty lord. What's of note here is the personal inflection. My, See, a massive portion of the Torah is dedicated to the judges, rulers over Israel appointed by Yahweh personally. Every judge gets a spotlight at some point, and they almost always get to have a discussion with Yahweh. And this is almost always how they address him, a strong indicator of their relationship and the judge's recognition of who's the real boss. This is particularly interesting in stories like that of Samson. To chip it way down, Yahweh bestowed Samson with Herculean strength, but allowed himself to break his oath to Yahweh, resulting in that strength being lost. When Samson is captured by his enemies, tortured, and made the Philistine equivalent of a circus show, he prays to Yahweh and finally addresses him as El Adonai, signifying that Samson has finally learned humility and to appreciate that Yahweh empowered all the supernatural stuff he did. Because of this character growth, Yahweh allows him one last burst of strength to kill his enemies and lay his life down protecting Israel. Almost every judge's story utilizes the meaning of Al-Adonai in a narrative capacity, using it to say something about the judge in question. This kind of artsy writing is my lifeblood, so I love it to death. Not a lot of people, including people who subscribe to these belief systems, know about any of this, let alone research and appreciate the nuance of it, and what it says in narrative about the figures they hold in esteem. I personally left organized religion quite a long time ago, but in all my years of participating in it, no one ever discussed or taught me any of this. And it's dope. And maybe I wouldn't have cheated in middle school Bible class if they mentioned interesting subjects like this.